Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, where it's our goal to help you become the best financial advisor possible and drive the positive evolution of financial advice. Hub24 is an ASX-listed company with over $15 billion funds under management and one of the fastest-growing platforms in the market. Neither a bank nor part of a bank, Hub24 focuses entirely on connecting advisors to a broad range of investment solutions for their clients. Discover why other advisors think Hub24 are the best in the market and access the benefits of choice and efficiency for you and your clients with their market-leaning managed portfolio solution. To find out more, visit hub24.com.au. G'day, Clayton here. Just spoke with a mate of mine, Brendan. Uh, we cover what it means to be an advisor for high net wealth individuals. He was recently voted uh, 2019's IFA uh, Holistic Advisor of the Year. So we cover a broad range of topics, you know, how to get into this uh, style of advice and what sort of his advice looks like on a day-to-day basis. So hopefully you enjoy all right, g'day, g'day. How's it going? What do you know, Strike Like Clayton here from XY Advisor. Here today with Brendan. And um, one of the things we don't get to speak about very often is uh, sort of the the family family office style of advice uh, on this podcast. So it's really cool for you to come in. But also, I don't even know if I've spent any uh, time in the presence of an IFA holistic <laughs> advisor of the year. So I'm, I'm pretty excited, i got to admit. <laughs> me too, Clayton. Me too. It's nice to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Um, a whole three days um, back in the office since a month off. Yes. Fantastic. Um, fourth day to be, fourth, to, to uh, be perfectly correct. To be, to be fair. Yes. Um, so I, I want to kind of just dive into how on earth did you get, I'd say, lucky enough mm. to get involved with the kind of advice and the kind of clients you work with? Sure. Oh, I'd definitely say lucky enough. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so what are we, 2019, I've been in the advice space for uh, about 10 years. Jesus. Uh, so yeah, uh, after, after finishing university, I really only had two things down and that's that I liked business and finance and I liked working with people. Yeah. So, so that, that was really all that I knew and I probably realized that I'd be happy in a whole stack of business or finance related roles. Yep. I just knew that I didn't want to be too distant from people. I didn't want to be um, you know, a small cog in a giant machine that had no meaning or relevance to, to anything. Mm. So I, that was really my only sort of guiding light when I'd finished uni. Um, and I was very lucky to have decided to major in uh, organizational psychology as part of my business degree. So, right. so as it turns out, that's quite a helpful thing in the role that I'm in now. But I'd like to say it was by good design, but it was very much good luck. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, the way that you've described financial advice, which is essentially good with numbers and good with people, is something that um, I think is really good uh, sort of descriptor at a high level. I used to be an accountant, but I preferred working with people. That's why financial advice was just such yeah. a, a natural progression. But for you, you so you've done a, you did a business finance and psychology degree. I don't have a psychology degree, okay. full disclosure. Okay. Um, I had a psychology major. Right. Oh, yeah. well, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's uh, 
That is, in my mind, probably the best education you can get for a financial planner. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I only say I say that because when you do when you do a major, you basically do a really fast fly through of all the things which can just give you an appreciation for all of the Is huge amount units? of stuff that you don't know. Eight units. Uh, Is it four? That. That rings a bell, but geez, mate, I didn't bring my transcript in here this morning, so. But still, I mean, so a mate of mine, uh, uh, Ray Jaramas, one of the co-founders yes. here at uh, XY, yeah. um, he's doing, or recently completed, one or the other, um, a psychology degree. Yes, yeah, right. And uh, what sort of uh, pushed him around a little, and it's kind of unfortunate, is that that isn't on uh, Fazia's right. list, of, <laughs> list yeah. of appropriate degrees, yeah. which is kind of crazy, man. It's just kind of crazy because the human part, the interactions, call it psychology, but I mean, obviously it's a skill you can learn without going uh, to uni, but um, the, the human side of advice is the piece that won't be roboticized if, if that's the right word to use. yeah it's the most future proof you might argue yes yeah. so so i remember when um i remember when ai sort of came out uh you know sort of high level maybe like 2014 around and the word robo advisor sort of popped up and everything and there was these websites you could go in and put sort of put in your uh you know the the job that you had and the percentage of the likelihood of it being automated. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. And uh, I remember putting in, you know, uh, financial planner and it had like 97%. I was like, you're kidding <laughs> yourself. There's just <laughs> no way that some, because of how emotional money is more than how rational it is, there's no robot who can walk you through um, the complexities emotional and and um, intellectual that it takes to to run a financial life and the way that i sort of put it is the moment that psychologists mm -hmm. clinical psychologists yep. can be automated is the day that advice can be automated yeah that that's probably a, a fair statement I, yeah. I i think uh, uh graham rich and the guys at portfolio construction have got uh they've termed it phenology being one of their key pillars um, phenology, phenology mm. um, which I'm going to try and remember the framework off the top of my head, which is <laughs> <laughs> always a risk, <laughs> always a risk. <laughs> um, if I don't remember it, of course, I'll cut this out. But <laughs> so phenology, is it, a, is it a term that they invented? So there, there has been some academic work done out of the States. Right. And I believe that there's one academic who's coined the term. Right. Um, and has tried to build a bit of a field of research around it, but it is—it's this idea that if you if you were to imagine a, a, an academic field or domain that's focused on the individual, mm -hmm. um, then you have uh, you have the sort of human experience of that, or you would call that psychology. Yes, and if you had um, the collective, being the sort of community approach. Um, to the human experience, you might call it um, sociology. Sure. Um, and if you had a, a a money lens to it, and you had um, a field or domain of, <laughs> of research, yep. At a community level or a society level, you'd call that economics. 
but there's a there's a quadrant there where what is it that's money related that relates to the individual but we don't actually have a field or domain of study for that and so this particular academic was calling has coined that phenology so i really should go and reference everyone properly for this but so um behavioral economics is that would would that be similar yeah i I guess so I, i think the the issue that I see, and this is probably just due to my limited reading, but all of I, all of the stuff that I see on behavioural economics is it's just pointing out all the heuristics that we know and mm. all the biases that we know from psychology and just applying an economic lens to them. Yes. Um, I, I'm not sure that that really goes deep enough yeah. into the financial advice world, for instance, where we're really looking at... at, at decision making and we're really looking at you know the future and planning of of an individual's life or a family's life and sometimes intergenerationally of course so yeah i'm not sure that pointing out that loss aversion uh (laughs) you know noting that we feel loss uh, as being something which is more painful than the equivalent gain (laughs) you're like yeah okay we know there's not an asymmetric relationship there okay and that's good to know it is good to know of course, Nobel Prizes have been given for this discovery. So it's, it's not like it's a small thing. But I'm yes. not sure that that's sufficient enough for, for advisors. I don't think we can pick up um, a, a list of, of those types of biases and then feel equipped to be able to help guide people through major financial decisions in their life. Well played. So I'm definitely going to look into this um, after this conversation. So phenology. That's a, a phenology. That's, yes. That's, yeah, man. Okay, cool. I quite like the. I really like the idea, and there there isn't any coursework, uh, which was the first thing that I looked at when I heard the term. Great. Where's some coursework on this? No, it's very. <laughs> Uh, it's very early stage, and I think right. that they're really trying to form a field of research around personal financial decision making. Awesome! Um, so yeah, that's cool. And so you're you're there at uni. Mm-hmm. You're you know you're spending time in the books with uh, Doctor what is it Friedman, the economist, <laughs> and uh, Doctor what, what's the the um, the famous psychologist? The um, let's just go with. Uh, Mm. Freud. Freud. You're you're after the other Freud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so uh, okay. Freudman. Friedman and Freud. There you go. Yeah. Um, it's like Sigmund and Freud, but less less tigers. <laughs> um, so so there you are at uni. You know, living the dream, as everyone tends to do at uni. Do you go straight into advice from there? Yeah, I do. I do. At at the same company that you're still at? No. Okay. Where'd no. you go? No. So I I went to. A, a company that's no longer in existence and always and a good for, sign for a whole lot of good reasons that I <laughs> that I prefer not to say in the public domain. Uh, <laughs> so look, um, that was a really interesting experience to be to be perfectly yeah, frank. Yeah, I know the feeling. And if I didn't have, I was very fortunate at the time to know someone uh, who ran his own business in in Sydney. Uh, who I could just bounce off. And I said, look, there are some things which are being advised in this company which I just don't feel comfortable with. I'm not sure that they're in the best interest of clients. And because it was the first role out of university, you're always a little bit green coming out. Mm. It's hard to know. And I think I'm very fortunate that I had a sounding board at the time to be able to bounce off and for him to say, look, no, this is not what financial advice is about. You can do it hand on heart knowing that what you recommend is going to be the best thing for that person, you really should try and you know, file this to the regulator and, and move on. So that's excellent. Yeah, no, it's 
when you when you are green and when you don't exactly know uh, what's you know how things are done. I mean, when you get to our age, uh, <laughs> you've sort of been kicked up the butt enough times and heard enough conversations to say, oh, okay, like I understand what's possible. Yeah, and I also understand that all advisors are kind of different you know like mm. you're never going to get the same experience in two two offices at, uh at any given time and mm. um, but there's still uh, like a like and a way to look at something logically and sort of morally yeah. at a situation yeah. even if you're even if you're green and still have probably a pretty good idea yeah like um there's there's a place that's not on my linkedin it's not on my cv and it'll never be spoken about but i spent one month uh in my power planning days at this particular office right okay and um and uh again i didn't i didn't really know too much but what they were doing is people would come in and i'd I'd say these were pretty unsophisticated clients that Mm -hmm. had been acquired via cold calling yep so that that was the scenario. Uh, the, these people would walk into this advisor's office. The recommendations were the same for everyone, and it was thus: uh, take a loan out on your house, ching ching, commission one. Uh, leverage that up, so double it. Clayton, this is all sounding very familiar. <laughs> ching ching, commission two. Yeah. Invest in this uh, leveraged um, uh, investment, ching ching. Uh, commission three then as the power planner i would then have to do the the projections Mm -hmm. and all of them were down as in like due to the fees that are being paid uh even with all of this all the leverage you still can't get up yeah 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 you're going to end up in a worse position yeah and i said to them like i said to the advisor i was like look you're the advisor and i'm the power planner i get that but the thing is this is going down every time. <laughs> and and he, I'll never forget, he even said, like, don't put a comma in the four-figure fees at the back, right? So let's say if it was $9,065, don't yeah. put 9,065. Just put 9,065. Like, just... And I, I, it just too much dawned on me. I said, I got to go. Yeah. I yeah. And I had no... Like, I didn't have a job lined up yeah. or, or anything. And, and um, man, like, I, I was sort of late 20s at that stage. I'd just gotten back from traveling around the world and I was broke. But I, I was just like, I can't I can't do this. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. Well, I mean, it sounds like we had similar experiences early on. Yeah. And, you know, you can't articulate it at, at the time in the way that, that perhaps we can now. But yeah. you're right. You have a feeling that this isn't right and yeah. that this isn't the best thing for someone. And you have to... You and thank to, God, make it, a move. It can't, it, that's illegal now, right? So yeah. due to FOFA, oh, yeah, thank, thank goodness. God, yeah. Um, so FOFA came and you know everything, and then FASIs, all, all the all the rage. But in a lot of practices, there's not a lot changing. By that I mean, um, as I go through these conversations with people, and as I've seen on the the new XY platform, the tech. Um, then the, the the world of advisors is sort of split between people that are having a really hard time of it and people that are sort of just continuing on with where the future of their business was headed anyway. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, out of those two, have you found that the race, recent changes have had a big impact on you at all? Uh, n- no, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that uh, I guess I will need to do some extra stuff for, for Fascia, having done a, a business degree and, and CFP and SMSF, my yeah, right. next ideal field of study would probably would have been a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology. I can't wow. do that now. I'll have to do some other stuff first. So I think it just mm. it just changes your, your priorities and, and when you need to do different things. Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's fundamentally changed, uh, changed the direction of our business a, at all. I think that it's enshrined a lot of the things which we've already tried to do. Um, and I think it also focuses on... I, I think we were already focused on those... Uh, things like you said earlier aren't likely to be done by a robot anytime soon. Like the rest of us, we all want to do things more efficiently. We want to do things um, better, but yeah, I I don't, I don't see that the future is, is dim or dark by any stretch. I think it it looks fantastic. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, automate as much as the back office as possible and then spend as much uh, time as possible with the front, um, with the client. So walk us through like what would, um, an average client and, or, or maybe like, I guess I'm mostly interested in the average client interactions. So you're dealing with typically not just an individual, not just a couple, usually a a intergenerational family. Um, How does that work? What are the nuances? Uh, And and if there's advisors out there that are interested in Mm. uh, somehow getting into this field, um, what are some tips for them to take away so that they're probably better prepared to be able to do so? Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, so a couple of things to point out is that we we do have a range of um, wealth positions, uh, clients with different wealth positions in our business, right? So, uh, the it, it seems odd. I don't know why this is the case, but when anyone comes in to visit us, they're always concerned that they don't have enough money to to, <laughs> to, to deal with us. I don't know why that is, um, but it just seems it's probably the 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 little sign on your door says anything under a bill go next door. <laughs> That's, That's probably right. why. <laughs> Did you put that sign there, Clayton? <laughs> Maybe. And, None and, of us put it and there. I, and I've set up next door. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well Thank done. you, marketing. Well yeah, what I want. That's good. That's good. Um, so ha- having said all that, I'm, I'm extremely conscious that, you know, the, the average client that I look after is is very wealthy by any, any measure, either by uh, standards within um, the advice community or even just objectively amongst you know the Australian community, right? Yep. So, so I, I think where some of our work starts to become a little bit more unique is where we identify that people are at a, a wealth position where that next generation is likely to see a or could conceivably perpetuate that wealth. Great. So what I mean by that is when. When, when mum and dad uh, fall off the proverbial perch, mm-hmm. uh, the, the amount of assets that are, are sitting around uh, in, their, in their family could very well mean that the, the kids wouldn't need to work if they were to adopt a reasonably average lifestyle or even above average lifestyle yep. uh, living in Sydney, Australia. So, so I think that once you get to that point, and sometimes earlier, it, it does throw up a fundamentally different set of questions. I think most of it, most advisors are very uh, ingrained and indoctrinated into this idea of what is your 
uh, also partly by legislation, I guess. Um, you know, what are your goals and objectives? How much, you know, how much do you need to retire? How much are you going to spend? Uh, yes, I'd like a boat by age 60. I'd like to, you know, travel this many times per year. And that that's, you know, okay, great. If we can get an investment outcome that reaches that, um, then job done. And it's, I don't know, all over. And, you know, you sort of fall back into uh, eternal happiness at that point or, or something. I'm not exactly quite sure what, and I think advisors probably should spend a little bit more time thinking about what happens when you get to that point. Yeah. Um, but I th- it's worthwhile noting that a lot of those things start to become redundant. If you're at a point in your life where you've sold a business, uh, you've received an inheritance, um, you've got yourself into a wealth position that means... You know, within reason, you can have most of those material things that you want. Yeah. So, like, what do you do when a client says, I want a Lamborghini? Uh, thank goodness, most of, <laughs> most, most of our clients, um, you would be very surprised to know that they are as wealthy as they are. So, uh, I, I think that... A, the car someone drives has got to be one of the worst predictors of what their actual net wealth is. <laughs> that, that, uh, that makes me feel very good considering I don't have a car. <laughs> um, okay, so like, well, how do you deal with, um, and this is a question that uh, I've always kind of thought about, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to, um, so I, the way that I expect to accumulate assets over my lifetime is through enterprise rather than, um, sort of, I guess the virtues of saving and, and mm-hmm. investing the, the things that, uh, financial advice has the, is the bread and butter, but I expect to be much more probably, hopefully, you know, to the point that I'm your client one day, right? So, <laughs> sure. so that's kind of what I'm going. And, and one of the things that, although I'm many, many years away from this, but this is kind of something I think about. It's like, so I grew up um, like a lot of people in the 80s that lived in small towns. Like no one had money back then, right? So it's not, it's not un- unusual to hear. But, um, but uh, like I really enjoyed my childhood at the mm-hmm. same time mm-hmm. and so what what do what advice can you give to a 17 year old or an 18 or, or a teenager or an early 20s person who has a legitimate chance of getting an absolute windfall not needing to study not needing to work not needing to be a useful member of society um I guess for lack of a better term, like how on earth do mm. you stop people becoming trust fund kids? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, great question. Tough one to answer. Yeah. Uh, it Mainly because I think it takes so many different forms. But I think, I think what you're really hinting at there is um, just your comment about, you know, well, I grew up without a lot of money and I had a fantastic childhood yes. and I wouldn't want to change that for myself and I probably want to change that for my future family. So, Correct. so I think part of what you're describing there is, is helping people understand what the, what's the appropriate role for money in someone's life. So I think you need to be able to define that really well and help clients define that because particularly for sort of second, sometimes even third generation um, wealthy families, 
And I, I can think of one in, in particular that we work with, who we now work with, I think, the third generation of their family, um, is that the second generation have often watched that first generation build that wealth. They probably didn't grow up in it. They probably grew up in, I don't know, the suburb that <laughs> you were referring to earlier or yeah. the circumstance that you referred to earlier. Um, they've seen their parents work exceptionally hard in their business um, and they've created a great deal of wealth that's been passed to them. And that that wealth then generally endears a huge amount of responsibility. So they, they will often, if they've seen it created and the work and effort, a lot of those values have probably been absorbed just th- purely through observation of, of that second generation. Right. So I think the, the, the next challenge comes when, when they still need to be out, well, they then need to articulate to the third generation where this money actually came from, what those values are. They've absorbed them. They probably haven't ever had to articulate them themselves because it's just part of their upbringing and part of their, their DNA, if you like. And they've taken on that responsibility as, as stewards often quite naturally. And I'm, I'm speaking in general terms, right? Yes. So there's obviously exceptions to this. But if, if I was to observe a pattern, I'd say that it, it might go something like this. And there's some statistics which back it up. But the, I think the challenge then comes for the third generation where, you know, like you say, they've, they've had a perfectly good childhood. They want the best for their kids, which probably involves, you know, big leg ups to property, uh, particularly if you live in Sydney. Uh, education and all of those sorts of cultural things which go along with it. So I, th- I think the the challenge, firstly, like I said, is to define the right role of money um, in in their life, and then I think they need to to attempt to articulate what those values are that you need to pass. Because the one of the real dangers I see is is no story or legacy being passed with with wealth so if it's just a financial legacy i I think that's that's woefully insufficient if you actually want the full potential of what that could deliver in in that next generation's life and thereafter is is woefully insufficient so one of the questions i love to ask clients is what do you want to leave your kids in non-financial terms Great question. Yeah, because I think that really starts to tease this out. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of advisors don't help this process. A lot of professionals, and sorry, not just advisors, but accountants, legal, the the works. We, We sort of perpetuate this idea that, okay, you need to have estate planning. We need to have legacy planning. Oh, okay, intergenerational wealth. You need to have testamentary trusts. So what, what, that, that's such an insufficient answer to that problem. You know, to have a transaction like this was now in an estate and it's now being administered is a transactional tool. We have a legal document that facilitates that. To, to think that a transactional tool like that can address what's a fundamentally transitional issue, the transitional, transitional issue being <laughs> I have a 22-year-old who's got their their whole life ahead of them and needs to make decisions about their career their future their family and be able to take responsibility for the position which their wealth has afforded them grow into constructive members of society and 
you know, take on the, the most amount of responsibility that they can to make their world and the world around them a better place, you know, that, that's just a totally different conversation. Oh, but, yeah. but unfortunately, it seems like we really get stuck at testamentary trusts <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> or make sure your will's done or make sure your binding death benefit nominations are in place for your super. Don't get me wrong, all those stuff... All those things need to be done. They're really important because if they're not done properly, you can create all sorts of chaos in someone's family that's entirely unnecessary if planning's been done well. But to, to think that that's going to be sufficient for a 22-year-old if, heaven forbid, their parents were to depart the world a little bit too early. Um, and I, <laughs> I remember having a conversation with a client to sort of try and tease this out a little bit and... And this particular client has a reasonably low-key lifestyle and many would be very surprised to know what his net position would be. But I was trying to gauge, you know, how well he felt his two sons might be equipped to deal with the $40 million each that would go their way if uh, if anything was to happen to, to him and his wife. Yeah. You know, and I said, you, we, we need to, you need to be strategic. You need to be intentional um, if the people who have made these sorts of levels of wealth, you know, how do you pack in all of the experience, all of the boardrooms, all of the negotiations, all of the war stories that they've had with their own investment journey and their own business journey? You know, how do you distill those learnings and, and pass them on to your, your kids so that they can you know, make good decisions in future for themselves when you're not around? So, um, so not only... Uh yeah, okay, so I was about to say, you know, I feel like the probably the Holistic Advisor Award was somewhat legitimate, mate. The, <laughs> the way that you're talking about it, it's uh, it's very cool. So um, you, you really are taking these conversations. You're probably having the tough conversations almost, and I'd imagine that although that these clients are probably almost unanimously, but not entirely, older than you oh, absolutely uh, unanimously yeah okay. correct unanimously, unanimously older than um, you, by and, at least a generation but you're you're sort of giving parental advice and maybe that's the wrong word to use but you're giving the trusted advisor advice you're you're the ones having the tough conversations that no one else is having with these people who are your mm. clients and does that does that make your job easier harder less enjoyable more enjoyable do you, like yeah. how do you how do you deal with the fact that they're older than you but you're giving kind of this uh very sort of mature responsible conversations with them yeah. more, much more than a typical advisor right yeah, or, or maybe much more typical than someone of my age that, yes. that an ordinary conversation would take place. And not, right? and, yeah. and not that you're young, but I'd imagine if... Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, like I could imagine... No, there's at least a generation gap between yeah, yeah. these conversations, right? So yeah. it, it's, it's a fair enough thing to point out. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of comments I'd make. One, does it make my job more enjoyable? Yeah, I, absolutely. Because... Because I think that this is the stuff which really makes an impact, right? Like if, if you can avoid some of or help a family avoid some of the chaos that, that besets families with lots of wealth, which we've all heard stories about totally. and reflected in the statistics, which 
supposedly suggest around the world something like only a third of uh, wealthy families manage to see that passed down past three generations. Totally, yeah. And apparently there are cultural sayings for this. I think we have, we have the saying, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. I believe the Chinese have got a similar saying, which says sort of rice paddies to rice paddies. All. So right. don't, don't quote me on that. But apparently there's, it, this is, a, this is a, a common pattern across culture. This is a very sort of human thing that seems to beset uh, people who have done really well for themselves. So, so sort of going back to your question, does it, does it help or, or hinder being younger? Oh. I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people very early on say, oh, you know, you have to advise people who are in a similar demographic to you. And I think that's utter rubbish. <laughs> utter rubbish. I, I think that if you're passionate about what you're doing and how you're trying to help someone, that that's, that trumps age on the presumption that you've got something constructive to say. You know, like, I, 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 and I think my observation is that older people have got a better sense if someone's actually uh, operating in their best interest or have their best interest at heart and as, as we all know that, that level of trust is, is the most essential thing so, so I wouldn't say age is, is entirely relevant uh, I think that younger advisors who have got the experience um, a minimum set of experience have got a, a unique perspective because that second or third generation of client is actually our peer. Yes. So we can better relate to the outlook that someone in their early thirties, like like I might might yeah. have, right? Yeah. So so I think that we've got the benefit of understanding the decision making and the wealth position and all the planning issues uh, that go along with the the parents or grandparents generation. But the the fortunate position of being able to relate to to that next gen or the gen after. So yeah, I look. I think it's a unique position that we've got, and and it hasn't it hasn't hindered me. I don't think anyway. Awesome. I, I haven't allowed it to in my yeah. own mind. Um, whether it has in reality, I guess is <laughs> isn't up to me to decide. No, it's a really good answer because uh, I find a lot of stuff. In fact if not the majority of the struggles that people have as financial planners can be solved internally in their own mind. And if you get over the problems or the fake sort of hurdles that you create for yourself, then, you know, you, you can start delivering on many different things. Obviously there's a lot of hard work, rubber hits the road after you've made that decision. But um, oftentimes the, the type, I, I, I do believe that the type of, advice and the type of client that you want to attract you can um, as long as you decide that there's nothing that's going to get in the road of that and then you go do the work you have you have to do the work you also have to be i think for the type of work and conversations that we're having you have to be very prepared to invest a lot of yourself you know if you're if you have the type of relationship with your professional work that's somehow um, quite distant or cut from your own personal world I suspect that you're probably going to be quite hindered in your ability to really help people. Um, I think that you have to be very comfortable if you're, if you're, (laughs) I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I feel like if you're going to do your best work for someone that part of you inevitably ends up 
in the mix there. And I don't mean you projecting your own views or values or whatever onto the situation, but but I think you need to deal with the reality yourself that that you're taking on a huge responsibility when you're guiding and shaping these conversations. And you need to have in the back of your head at all times, if you're wrong, this will have really big implications for someone else. So I think as long as you're carrying that that burden of responsibility yep. as you as you sort of march forward as best as you can, you're going to be in the right spot. But I'm not sure if you can... I'm not sure if you can do that unless you're prepared to invest a bit of yourself. Um, on, a, on a more, I guess, operational question, mm. do you have everyone in the whole family in the same meeting at the same time or do you, do you yeah, take them it's, differently? It, well, uh, it's a case-by-case basis. So uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we, we will have the whole family. We'll, we facilitate a, a family retreat for this particular family. So we'll, the whole extended family will be going up to the Hunter Valley, which will go up and facilitate a day to run through uh, the reporting on where everything's up to, on what we've called the Family Future Fund for this particular family group as to what's going to be funded, when's going to be funded, and that's a very open dialogue. And you know, hat, hats off to this particular family who are able to do that constructively and and do that openly with um, obviously with, with our guidance and, and help. Um, but that's, I would say that that's one of the, the more exceptional and better. <laughs> that, that's a real case in, in what can go really, really well when, when you take a step back and say, what do I want this wealth to do for my family and future generations? That's awesome. Which is the starting point of the parents, which, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to be conscious of how much you're actually putting into this. We've got, an, we've got a role to play, but we... <laughs> You know, I, we can't create that as a starting point. That's an essential starting point that allows us to go and do work. But, you know, it's not like we can take the credit, yeah, uh, all yeah, the credit yeah. for that. We have to play our role really well, but that's, we can't take the credit for the start seems position. Like, wow, well, I could just only imagine how cool that would be. Um, what, what would you say to an advisor who wants to get into this type of advice? Yeah. Uh, well, how did you yeah. end up and how would someone else follow that path? Yeah, good question. I, I think you have to work as part of a team. So if you have a view that, okay, well, I'm going to set my new um, minimum net wealth at $20 million and upwards from there and I'm going to design a family office service, you know, and this is going to be my main type of client, this is going to be my offering... I think you, you need to be open-eyed and realistic about how you're going to deliver on that. And it's just not a gig for a one- or two-man band, I, I suspect. So I, I think if you're the type of advisor who really wants to run their own show and, and wants to plough ahead with their own firm and their own brand and I don't know, all, all of that sort of thing, which doesn't hugely motivate me, I'm very comfortable and sort of prefer to work as part of a team and work collaboratively I, th- I think you need to be wide-eyed that one person actually can't do that so in, in the example that I just mentioned for this particular retreat we've got coming up we have three advisors in the office that help deliver on all the things that we need to do for that family it's not as <laughs> it's not a small task list it's a it's a big task list yeah um, so I, I think you need to make sure that operationally you're you're geared up for that so that either means um, very ambitiously trying to tackle that 
yourself or gearing up your business to, to deliver on it. Or it means working with a, a firm that has that type of scale and structure. Um, and let's say someone's in a similar position to yourself, doesn't want to drive their own business, wants to end up in, a, in, a, in an employment situation mm-hmm. like that, um, beyond just simply identifying, uh, and, and I, I, I said simply probably incorrectly there, because first of all, it'd be very hard to tell which uh, financial planning uh, companies actually do this. And, and so beyond just waiting for um, a company to put an ad up on Seek, you know, uh, how would someone actively try to go about getting a job in a position uh, for a company like this? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things. I think you need to take a really long-term view if this is the type of work that you want to do. Uh, the reason you need to take a long-term view is because the domains of conversation become really, really broad. Um, I remember getting a phone call from a client uh, because the Point Piper property that they were selling uh, had just passed settlement date and the client uh, and you know settlement hadn't occurred yet so the the buyer they being the vendor mm-hmm. hadn't received the cash from the buyer by the agreed date and rather than calling the lawyer they call us and say all right well what should we do here at this particular point in time so so you know there's those sorts of curveballs which will come at you inevitably every single day when you have clients with this sort of financial complexity so you really need to take a long-term view as to and be really realistic about how long is it going to take me to be able to not have all the answers but at least be familiar enough with the types of problems that come up that you can field those answers from the appropriate um, experts in a in a reasonable amount of time so that's a good answer so like have a look at trusts have a look at property have a look at um what 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 happens when you buy what happens when you sell what happens when you create what happens when you dissolve um what are the problems that can go wrong yeah and and just putting in the the work to find out i guess all the complexities of the ins and the outs and the ongoings of all these different well you need you need to chase this learning yourself right yeah if you hang around and wait for the client scenarios to come up that will teach you this uh, you'll be waiting a long time yeah. I mean some firms will the, the types of firms that you're working in some will accelerate that faster than others obviously just yes and that's just about knowing and asking what type of client base they have what sort of work that they do yeah uh, but yeah you need to you need to go and chase down this learning yourself so you, if there's something that you come across that's somehow related to a financial transaction you really need to go and figure out what are all the circumstances that happen around this yeah you need to happen or know what happens around cap raisings for for business and what happens if if you know you're you're spinning out an entity or a business unit and you need to know what the tax implications of that are you need to know what happens when you roll up structures and so a lot of it's accounting you you need to be able to be fluent in the language of accounting <laughs> which i feel like it's a language i'm very much still learning but um, oh my god but yes. accounting is a big part because yeah. as soon as you have that sort of financial complexity you you often have the the accounting issues that go along with and, it and when you say accounting because i i did an accounting degree mm-hmm. um and i worked as a as a tax accountant but then i, I didn't learn anything whatsoever about trusts right about yeah. um you know i learned how to 
you, you know, how to bloody go through a shoebox of receipts on, you know, on one day <laughs> and then on the next yeah. day, you know, sort of like do a depreciation schedule for, yeah. for a property. And, and there, there was a bit of work to do, but yeah. nothing like learning about what an ESVCLP fund is and mm. how you get a 50% um, you know, tax rebate on the year that you make a, a startup investment and that you've got a 10-year CGT-free... I think you find it's a 20%, man. Is it? Yes. <laughs> not, not 50? Okay, 20. I think, so. I think 20. It's 20. No, when I said 50, I was like, <laughs> well, that might be a bit generous. Um, and the, but, a, but a 10-year uh, yeah, CGT-free. CGT yep. yep. And yep. so all that's... That, yeah. you know, I, and mind you, I guess that's only come about in the last couple of years. Yeah. But um, a lot of this stuff, as you said, you have to just go in and yeah. it's all self-taught. And you have to find out why it's important for people and... Um, it's not impossible, I guess. No, That's, it, yeah. it, it's absolutely not. And you need to chase it down as a priority, right? So, uh, you know, lawyer, legal firms put on workshops and seminars and you need to put yourself through these things. And I, I think what you, I don't know, I don't know if this is exactly what I've done hand on heart, but at least I feel like I've tried to do that if I come across an area that I, or a transaction or an event that I haven't come across before, I want to know all of the things that have happened around this and understand them properly. Mm. So you need to be able to read. I think this is one of the bits of advice which I got from, I think it was Peter Hogan who taught um, the SMSF course, which I, which I did some years ago. And he said, look, if you want to be an SMSF specialist, you need to be able to read and interpret the law. You, know, you, you need to be able to pick up the legislation because you've got, you're in a field where there's a lot of opinions. And at some point, you need to be comfortable if the opinion that you're forming is correct or not, if you're going to advise someone. And you need to be able to pick that up, not just out of an article that you found by Googling something. You need to be able to look up the act. And I remember in that course, I was very fortunate. It was my first real introduction to looking through... Uh, the law as it pertained to financial any field of financial advice and and learning that way or at least starting to form a view that way and reading ATO guidelines and and IDs and and, and all of that sort of stuff so so I, I think you need to be able to chase things down to source documents which means pushing past a bunch of hurdles and and it takes time which is I was like going back to my earlier comment why you need to take a long-term view if this is the type of work that you want to do yeah it just doesn't happen overnight yeah and it will and you might be asking yourself many times oh yeah but how many times do i come across this well yeah you know that's right you might not come across it again for five years but when that when that happens you'll be able to at least i hope be able to move through things at a, at a pace that's going to be helpful for a client you're not going to have to just reinvent the wheel every single time so i like to think over the 10 years of advice i've when i've come across new things I've tried to bed them down in my own learning as quickly and as rapidly as I possibly can and robustly, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that if I come across this again, you know, I'd, and maybe this all comes out of my first year of experience like we were talking about before because I didn't, I didn't know much at all. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I really hated that position. I really yeah. hated talking to people um, without... And just, be, just, you know, feeling like a deer in a headlight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really didn't like, and of course that was coupled with a with the sales culture at the time, yeah, and it yeah, was yeah. just this this horrible mix of you know wanting to you know being sort of being pressured under a sales culture, but not have you know the the goods to 
back it up was maybe it's just something I've been running from ever since. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I remember back in 2014, I had a client that had made a, and this is 2014, mm-hmm. uh, a hell of a lot of money in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, I, uh, I sat down and I spent so long learning all about it that I ended up becoming uh, the first uh, financial planning uh, company in Australia to be able to accept Bitcoin in as payment oh right okay. yeah, yeah yeah now uh, no one ever paid like in bitcoin <laughs> but i do but you could yeah exactly you had a wallet and, and the, yeah. the the way that it worked was um no because obviously because licensee so uh what the way that i had to do was uh the bitcoin was converted into cash which was then deposited into the licensee's uh, bank account which would have come through to me so that's right. how that's how it was um originally uh organized and that was back in 2014 i remember being like oh, wow, you know, I'm going to get heaps more of these clients. No, nah, didn't get any. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just so I went on a, a pretty big journey to learn about Bitcoin, which I am, um, after sort of spending a fair few years looking at it, I have the view that there is, you know how like ever, in any given year, uh, your portfolio has probably a 51% chance of going up and 49% chance of going down. But over, say, the course of three years, five years, seven years, your chances of it going up sort of increase dramatically. Yeah. Uh, the way that I explain Bitcoin, in, in, if you want to call it investing, is that it, there's a 50% chance of going up and a 50% chance of going down. And no matter how many years you push that out, I don't think those percentages <laughs> change. So when people say either that they're bullish or bearish on uh, Bitcoin, I'm actually neither because it has um, it it has no. It's sort of similar to gold, and but it has it does less than gold, right? So gold has almost no utility except for jewelry and a little bit in in electronics. Um, Bitcoin has essentially no utility at all. Um, it's not a superior way of uh, sending money. It, 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 sometimes, if the demand is not huge, it can be quicker, but those things fall apart pretty quickly. Um, uh, what, it, what it does do is it simply be, is scarce. So mm. it's simply scarce. But there are many things that are simply scarce. There right, are, yeah. there, there are, there are uh, elements on the elemental table that are scarce yep. uh, that I don't need either. So th- th- there's sure. many things that are scarce. It doesn't necessarily mean that I need it. Um, is it gimmicky? Yes, sure. Do enough people believe in it? Uh, yes, sure. Is the internet going away? No. Is money going away? No. Is internet money going away? Probably not. <laughs> um, I've got sort of every single argument on both sides of the coin to, to the point that I think it's, Almost, and this is just a personal opinion. I think it's almost diligent to actually have sort of a one to two percent exposure to cryptocurrency in a portfolio. Is there a question in this, mate? Because no, <laughs> you're asking me to comment on Bitcoin. Jeez, oh, actually, here's a comment. Do you have a client that has made money from Bitcoin? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So, so I'm sure you had some exposure to it. Did you then go out and learn anything about yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I, yep. Yeah, it's. Uh, very very recently, we have a client who um, works for a big name technology company, who is very into the crypto space, mm-hmm. um, and has made a lot of money from it. Mm. And yeah, I, look, I, I sunk, I don't know how many hours on on YouTube. 
understanding yeah. cryptography and understanding different types of coins and their utility and distributed ledgers and yeah. how nodes work and yeah. proof of work and proof of stake yeah. and distributed consensus yeah. and all of those sorts of things. So, I look, I yeah, I mean, I... I can't really say, oh, woe is me. You know, I, ha- I had to go and learn all these things because, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit the way I'm wired. It's, you know, while but, I'm cooking dinner, I quite like to have, you yeah. know, some explanatory. But know. see, I, and I guess that sort of fits uh, the narrative you were saying before around it's self-taught and there's a lot to learn. And then uh, you just have to make sure that you understand all aspects yeah. really of finance yeah. if you're going to become the holistic advisor of the year. And Bitcoin's just probably a, a recent one, but then it goes back you know, to trusts yeah. and, and everything yeah. else in between and buying and selling property. Goodness, I wouldn't know what to say if a, if a client said to me, uh, you know, uh, the buyer hasn't paid. I'd be yeah. like, oh, you know, yeah, spewing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it sucks to be you that your ten million dollar house just exactly. failed to sell properly. Yeah, no, uh, look, it's yeah. I, I think I should also add for the record that it it's not like it's all self taught. You know, you really need to seek out other really good people, um, other advisors, and look, I I've done this recently this year for an advisor over in the states who said, look, you know, you as far as I can tell, you are doing a lot of the work that I'm learning to do. You're at least 20 years ahead of me. I would, if you can, could you spare a couple of hours, um, maybe twice a year, I would love just to send you an agenda of things that I'd like to talk about. I don't want to pinch your IP or anything, um, but I I do want a sounding board and I would like some sort of uh, mentoring and and Phenomenal. you know you, you have to seek out these other voices that are really going to help you develop yeah. um some of them will be advice related um a, a lot of them won't be yeah uh, but yeah to i, I don't want to leave this with the impression like i've gone and sought sure. all of this out yes. myself yeah, i've, yeah, yeah, I've sense. found people who are way smarter than me um in all sorts of domains and spent lots of time with them trying yeah. to learn as much as I can. So. That's awesome. Well, one of the big things that I took out of this conversation was um, if there's a, if there's a meetup event or if there's a, if there's a subject you don't know a lot about and then, Oh, okay, well, what's this ESOP thing? What, like, mm. how do I learn about uh, employee share plans? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just going to go along to this meeting cause it's free and you know, like it's two hours of my time and it's after yeah. hours. And I think that's a, probably a really good, uh, oh yeah, that's a really re- good way to go well, about it. And you, you've highlighted something really important there. Is if you th- also if you think that you can do all this within hours, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in normal working hours, you kidding yourself. <laughs> you're absolutely kidding yourself. Yes, you know. So I, I can only think of how many breakfasts and yeah, and, and uh, you know after work sort of dinner events and workshops and that sort of stuff. Yeah, would have gone to over the years. You have to, yeah, you have to take that view. If you think you can squeeze it in in your day job, you 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 kidding yourself, <laughs> mate. Because um, we've hung out a handful of times, and these are all a bunch of questions that I've really wanted to ask you. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and and um, sharing your information. And hopefully, there's a bunch of advisors out there that'll sort of you know get a, a step in the right direction if they ever choose to give this type of advice. Yeah. yeah. Now, if any, if anyone uh, wants to sort of shout out say actually i want to catch up twice a year <laughs> with a bunch of questions uh, obviously you're uh, you're on linkedin 
Um, you, actually, have you downloaded the new uh, social media platform? The Xbox? No, he's putting me on the spot. Yeah, oh, come no. on, mate. No, sorry, I'm behind the eight ball. I just got back from holidays. <laughs> Cut me some slack. Well, we're, 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 we launched about a month ago and we're already uh, above... 800 i think we're getting close to 900 within the first month so Fantastic. that's uh, done exceptionally well so uh, i'll make sure you're uh, you're in there obviously i'll i'll jump on that Clayton. good obviously. man good man all right mate cheers thanks so much thanks very much